Hi, welcome to Emmanuel Church. If you haven't been to a service, we'd love to see you there. Or if you want to hear our sermons online, go ahead and like us on Facebook and you'll get future sermons. We deal here with an ongoing need for all of us to manage to get along with an existential need as such. There are two aspects in this. Of course, the first being the physical need and then the other one being the spiritual need. When you think about bread, it's a physical matter, of course, but also in the uh, meaning that the uh, Bible raises it up, it quite often is in, meant, meant in meaning of uh, bread of life, that Jesus himself tells us that he is the one. When having a look at uh, what is written in our passage of Deuteronomy, we could possibly roll a little bit backwards the uh, slides and have this Deuteronomy 8, those two verses from there, 2 and 3. We have there a situation in which God reminds Moses uh, uh, and the people of Israel of all the care that he has shown to them through their long wandering in the wilderness. And he says there, you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. And then there is a mentioning of uh, the purpose of all this, that it says that, that he might humble you testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. As a part of this, uh, there was food that uh, had to be provided for all the people, and there was already such a large crowd of people. Uh, this topic raised up uh, every now and then, especially during the first part of the long wandering in the wilderness. People started, understandably so, complaining and thinking, how much better living conditions they had had back in Egypt. And at the same time, when they felt badly treated and lacking all the basic needs there in the wilderness, and when they thought about the basic need of everyone of having enough to eat, they seemed to have lost their trust in God, and especially in it that he would really keep his promises. Now then, the people didn't pass the test of trusting in God in all conditions in the best possible way at all. I'm pretty sure that exactly this would have happened. Also to myself, if I would think of myself being in that same position and situation, then there. But there is also an important reminder of God's good care in the middle of these harsh conditions. The people were humbled by God, causing them first to hunger and then feeding them with manna comes from those two Hebrew words, man, who, that people were like asking, seemingly, even though it's not exactly um, according to the vocabulary accurately said, but the question is, what is this, man, who, ma, who, ma, ze? Seemingly comes from uh, those words, the, the word, this term, manna. This was a complete surprise to them, since neither they or their ancestors had known of that surprising means of nutrition. Our Lord is the God of wonders. He is faithful and he keeps his promises. The aim of all this is mentioned then at the end of this short passage where it says that, that man doesn't live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This opens up somehow a view beyond the physical reality that we are within or they were within. It reminds us that uh, it is possible to God to cause even supernatural things to happen 
if the worst comes to worst, and he keeps his promises, and at the same time the test is done to us as people created to his image. He wants to teach us that uh, we need to put our trust in him wholeheartedly without questioning his promises and possibilities. One interesting feature with the manna was that it lasted always only for one day at one time, except the Sabbath. And on Sabbath Eve, God provided the people of Israel with a double portion of manna. Because on Sabbath, uh, people were not supposed to work or do something in order to get food. Uh, this reminds us uh, of Jesus' advice in the Sermon on the Mount also, when he said that, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In Matthew 6, 34. When we move on and turn our attention now to the New Testament passage, so uh, we have here again a view that reminds us about the continuation of God's plan for the salvation of the human mankind. Just previously, right before the passage of today, Jesus spoke there in a straightforward way to the Jewish scribes and other leaders about God's plans being fulfilled in him, himself. And the concluding words were there before this passage. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And now what happens in the, this continuation is somehow aimed to be a verdict on Jesus being God, and especially his actions witnessing on this reality of him being God amongst people. We understand from the beginning of the description that the word about Jesus' miraculous deeds had gone around, he had done an impact on quite a lot of people. Earlier in the Gospel of John, there is a testimony in chapter 2, 23, a testimony that says, Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. We see that there were continuously people that were fascinated about Jesus because of the miracles that took place also. That shouldn't have been, though, the main reason to believe in him, according to, according to Jesus' own instruction and teaching. His own teaching was that, uh, as we remember in the case of disciple Thomas, who was the hesitant disciple, as we remember, that those who don't see by their own eyes Jesus' miraculous signs, and in any case believe in him, are the ones who really may be called blessed and not specifically those who first need to see in order to believe. Regarding our own nation, it says that the Finn doesn't believe before he sees. <laughs> I don't know if it's typical only of Finns, but it's typical of human mankind. We have to have some concrete uh, verdict of some uh, whatever matter that we don't grasp otherwise. Especially this is in regards to matters of faith, quite true even though the faith wouldn't be faith if we would see, as it says in uh, Hebrews 10 or 11 there, that uh, the faith is something that we expect to, we are, ex uh, we are looking for something that will be, get its fulfillment actually at the end of the walk. But we do have our trust in God's promises and his uh, guidance and protection, and that's all about not seeing those things physically and concretely always.
but having his word of promise from the scriptures guiding us and encouraging us, giving us this living hope as we might describe this real faith being in our heart also. This living hope aiming to certain aim at the end of the walk. <clears throat> the big miracle that in any case now took place here was initiated by Jesus, by his question to Philip about the food. He asked there in verse 5, and uh, the question is there, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And Philip's answer then in the next verse says that, uh, or oh, that was to test uh, Philip, for he himself knew what he w would do, but didn't reveal it yet, of course. And then there is the answer from Philip, which describes the realities they were dealing with. There was quite a vast audience, 5,000 men and women and children added. There have been many kinds of figures given how many people could have been there. Must have been 10,000 easily. Um, listening to Jesus' teaching and they got hungry. In any conference, the food catering has to be planned properly. But in this case, there seemed to have been no planning at all. The sum of money, 200 denarii, that is mentioned here, that wouldn't have been enough for feeding the crowd, was a big, it was a big amount of money. About 200 days uh, pay for a worker, since uh, regular pay for one working day was one dinar. In addition to Philip's calculations, there was also this Andrew's proposal that we can see there in continuation after his search for the food. Uh, and, and he mentioned that there are, there are those five loaves of bread and two fishes found with a boy in this crowd. And these both disciples interpreted the question of Jesus on the most conventional, regular, human-like level. And so they gave only these conventional answers. Couldn't imagine what could be then expected to happen. Uh, obviously, we as human beings act accordingly in our difficult situations. In reality, especially when there would be God's time to intervene and solve our serious problems, we don't have the faith that would enable us to turn to Jesus, asking him to come to our help. But good if that happens, though, more and more, through our walk in faith in this world. Traditional categories cannot understand in advance what Jesus has to give. Only Jesus knew also in this specific situation how to meet the needs of the crowd. It's somehow touching to myself and to many of us possibly that uh, those few items of food were found from a small boy who actually could be an instrument of God's great plans in that very specific situation at that time. So God uses and needs all of us, from the youngest ones to the most grown-ups. The miracle itself is described shortly and orderly in verses 10 and 11. Jesus advised the people to sit on the grass, plenty of which was found there. The blessing of the food, bread and fish, and distributing it to the people 
seems to have happened without making any big number show of us of it. Jesus' actions remind of the behavior of a host at a Jewish meal. Jesus took the food, gave thanks over it, and gave it to his guests, we can say. Only in the Gospel of John it is described that Jesus himself distributed the food to the crowd. In other Gospels it's told to have happened with the help of uh, the disciples. The Christological focus of John is clearly this. The gift of food comes from Jesus himself directly and only from him. He is the bread of life. The miracle was astonishing and amazing. The food was multiplied so bountifully that uh, at the end there were 12 baskets of leftovers. Isn't here a clear testimony on it that Jesus is willing and able to surprise us? Astonishingly, he has much more prepared for us than we can ever imagine in our own life situations. This is a strong example of how full of grace and mercy our Lord is. John in his gospel has described Jesus warning people not to respond based on surface reaction to these signs. And so Jesus does after this miracle too, when people enthusiastically said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So Jesus didn't let them take him by force to make him king. That's what is said and written there. For sure Israel's desire for a king is part of its messianic expectations, the hope for a second David to appear, the great king, to be coming, leading and causing peace to prevail. Jesus was to be king, but only according to his own definition of kingship. Before his crucifixion in front of Pontius Pilate, he answered to the question about his kingship, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And in that situation, the Pilate, his Pilate, uh, Pontius Pilate said to him, So, you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is from the truth listens to my voice. And these are the words that I quoted from John 18. Truly, his kingdom was and is from the heaven. He is also now present as the risen Lord in our midst, when we gather together as believers in him. This theme is present in the Gospel of John, for example, in the words of Nathanael also, when he says, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. There is the first chapter of this gospel. Are these Nathanael's words? Uh, the theme of today, the bread of life, is uh, made most concrete in our gatherings when we celebrate the Holy Communion. In it we become participants of the most miraculous event. Jesus gives himself to us for our eternal salvation. Even though the Holy Communion doesn't deal with feeding people physically with food, actually. Getting fed is understood and experienced in much deeper meaning, spiritual meaning, encouraging the faith itself. The forgiveness of our sins is given to us and assured to us very specially 
And Jesus joins us one to another and causes us to praise God for his unending grace and mercy. So now let us just uh, join in the prayer and I would just like to read to us uh, one of the hymns from our hymn book. It's the hymn 222 actually that we will sing later also. We pray. O bread of life from heaven, O food to pilgrims given, O manna from above, feed with the blessed sweetness of your divine completeness the souls that want and need your love. O fount of grace redeeming, O river ever streaming from Jesus' wounded side, come now, your love bestowing on thirsting souls and flowing till all are fully satisfied. We love you, Jesus, tender, in all your hidden splendor, within these means of grace. Oh, let the veil be riven, and our clear eye in heaven behold your glory face to face. Amen. <laughs>